It's good to see you, Ryan. Good to see you too. So I feel like we already had a podcast downstairs. We should have been rolling. But we were talking about some things that can't be shared publicly. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some other shit that probably shouldn't be shared publicly, but will. No, it's really good to see you, man. You too. Um, I don't remember. I think the last time I saw you is when you were out here. 2021. Summer yeah. of 2021. When this house was a construction site. Yeah, it's really amazing to see everything that you've done here. It's coming along. So you're the first guy in the world that I've ever met in the realm of plant medicines that hit me to something called Kana. K-A-N-N-A. For those listening. By the way, that leads me to the show notes, lukestory.com slash Kana. K-A-N-N-A. And you'll find all the things we talk about today at that link. And as I got to know you a little bit, I, I found that you have much expertise in the realm of psychedelics and plant medicines um, to the point that I finally talked you into facilitating me in a one-on-one -on -one journey at some point years ago. Which oh, was, that's right. Which you may have I forgotten forgot about. about that. Because <laughs> you've done many, you know, but I was, I was just so curious about these, you know, interesting and sort of I guess novel substances that that you you know were working with at that time, and uh, you know, hearing a bit about your journey just has made me increasingly interested in getting you on the show and sharing some of your wisdom and expertise with uh, the listeners. So, mostly, what I want to talk about is Kana, because uh, you know so much about it. I mean, I think you know more about it than anyone I've ever met, and I meet some interesting people, and uh, the fact that it's legal. And I think we'll find out its safety profile, but from my experience with it, I've always felt pretty safe, quite safe, actually. Um, but before we get into that and kind of niche down, give us a bit of your background and how you first started using some of these different medicines with intentionality. Sure. Well, well first, I'm definitely still learning about Kana, but I, I'm very excited to share what I do know. Um, my journey with Kana and any kind of psychoactive substance uh, started about 11 years ago now. In, in 2012, I was invited to a underground plant medicine ceremony um, where I was, what I was given or what I was served was a combination of Kana blended with MDMA. And so that was the first time I had ever experienced an altered state of consciousness, oh, tried wow. something psychoactive or psychedelic, um, experienced my first heart opening with an empathogen. And it was an incredibly impactful experience. Um, I was 25 or 26 at the time. And um, I, I think it was the first time in my life that I had felt real purpose you know, like a real calling, something um, that just excited me in a way that no nothing ever had before. And so I, I threw myself in. I went to every kind of ceremony that I could. And in that first year, I went to a lot and, and saw the way a lot of different kind of people work or different methods that people use working in this space, lots of different compounds being used. Um, and that was 
really the only context I was working specifically with Kana for for several years was just in this ceremonial context. Um, yeah, so that's that's so in high school you weren't like taking shrooms and going to concerts and stuff. No, I, I was, guess that my question I, did say when did you start to work with them intentionally? Which you know, I guess there's an intention in tripping balls and going to a concert. It's just maybe not you know. You, you know, it's hard. I was always curious about something like like MDMA, um, but no, I'd never never done any drugs in my life. I, I had drank alcohol. That's probably the only kind of altered state that I'd been in. So I, I went in definitely very pure. I didn't even really have a lot of exposure in in like culture or media. So I didn't really have a lot of preconceived notions of what it could or could not be. And the way that it was introduced to me was definitely very intentional. It was this set and setting was um, kind of like underground group psychedelic assisted therapy where it was all done in, in a, a group setting and it was very much about connection and facilitating processes with with other people with the aid of of your heart blasted open by empathogens would you define empathogen yeah so empathogen is a category of psychoactive compounds similar to like or entheogen for example that's that's a category that certain psychoactive substances fall under and so empathogens are substances that when you take them, they create a profound sense, a strong sense of empathy, which is where that word empathogen comes from. Um, Connection, you feel like a heightened sense of emotional awareness. You seem to have a better grasp of of not only your own emotions, but but other people's emotions. And and so they really help facilitate connection. And... um, yeah, so, so that's why they're employed so successfully in, in things like MDMA-assisted uh, therapy. And, and MDMA is definitely the most popular, well-known empathogen, where uh, Kana is also considered an empathogen, but it's unique in that it's entirely natural. It's completely plant-derived. And so that there aren't a lot of empathogens like that. What about um, sassafras or MDA? Yeah, so those are uh, phenethylamines, or if you know if you've heard of uh, Alexander Shulgin, his book Pcall is is all about different pathogens. Um, so 2CB is another uh, less known but pretty well known in some circles. That's also an pathogen, uh, and so these substances, when you take them, like what really distinguishes them from tryptamines or entheogens like uh, mushrooms or LSD is that you don't typically see visuals when you see them. Um, where tryptamines usually, uh, part of why they're called entheogens is you often have like a mystical or a spiritual experience with it. Um, and pathogens are different. You don't typically see visuals. You have this, uh, they call it a heart opening because you just feel so open and, and really easy to feel your own emotions feel other people's emotions, connect with people. There also seems to be a strong um, intactogenic response. So you like, if you've ever done MDMA before, that feeling where you just start, things start to feel incredible. Um, that's a common effect from, from empathogens as well. I forgot about 2CB. That's a really cool one. <laughs> that, is, that is a very interesting substance. 
Yeah, it's I I wish that they were doing more with it. You know, Maps is doing so much work with with um, MDMA, but what's really unique about 2CB is that it's significantly stronger. It's about ten times stronger than MDMA, which means you can use about ten times less. Um, and it, yeah, it just seems to be more gentle on people's nervous systems and and it seems to be have a strong felt effect even if someone is on SSRIs. And so given the kinds of people that are the uh, seeking psychedelic assisted therapy, I, I think 2CB really holds, um, it should really be looked at more closely because it, it has the potential to help a lot of people. Also in my very limited experience with 2CB it doesn't have the the visuals in the classical sense that you would get from DMT or mushrooms or something like that. But I remember the last time I used it, which has only been, I don't know, maybe three or four times and not that high of a dose. I think 12 milligrams versus what's 25 is kind of the upper threshold of a full send. Uh, yeah, 20, 25 is what most people work at. I prefer 12, um, but you can actually go pretty high with it. If you go into that book, Peak Call, you can read people's trip reports of doing like over 100 milligrams. Wow. And um, yeah, once you cross a certain threshold, you see visuals with that okay. one. Because <laughs> I, I remember uh, in, in the midst of that experience, and it wasn't you know, in a formal ceremony, it was with uh, two or three friends and you know there was some intentionality to it. We were, we're essentially just hanging out. I wouldn't say like we were partying per se, but it, we also didn't have eye masks on listening to a shamanic playlist or something, you know, just kind of hanging out, actually listened to some Grateful Dead. It's really nice. And I thought, am I, you know, it's kind of one of those things with many of these substances where you go, am I feeling it? You know, should I take more? And I remember at one point, it's like, yeah, I think I'm feeling something. And I remembered I, you know, I never look at my phone during these experiences because it's just so nasty to me. But for some reason, I had to look at my phone and I looked at my phone. I was like, okay, definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely feeling it because I could not even use my phone. You know, the phone looked very different. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, it's definitely, I'm definitely not going to drive a car right now, put it that way. But it's it's a really, 2CP is a very strange, it's a very strange uh, being, you know. It, it doesn't feel quite like anything else. It's sort of, you can't really describe it. It really is um, an interesting substance. Yeah, it... um it was potentially Sasha and, and Anne's favorite of all of the, the different compounds that they discovered. And an interesting fact about it is that um, Alexander Shulgin said that if man were to ever create a true aphrodisiac, that it would be based on that molecule. I, I mentioned that like that state that you go into where things start to feel really good. That is very profound with that um, with that substance and the visual itself is very unique. Like it's most people when they take it, they experience like a rainbow shimmer all over everything. I don't know if that's what you yeah. saw. Yeah. Yeah. Rainbow shimmer on the iPhone. <laughs> totally. yeah. It, it gets activated when you see light, like light beams seem yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not like a thing where, you know, when you're working with mushrooms, you close your eyes and you're like, Oh, holy shit. You know? And then when, you know, Obviously, if you're on a lot of mushrooms or LSD, even when your eyes are open, things look very strange, fractals and patterns and what you'd call like um, hallucin and hallucin <laughs> hallucinations. That's the word I was looking for. Maybe I should stop doing it. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> um, but with that, yeah, it's not, it's not like 
I'm seeing fractals or a pattern on the wall or the carpets moving or anything. It is very much associated with light. That's interesting. Yeah, that you you say that. I think about that now. And there is kind of a luminescence to anything lit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with 2CB, uh, which I actually learned about from you too. You, you're the guy that turns me on to obscure <laughs> substances. Uh, <laughs> one thing I remember you telling me was that you know, over the years, well, it had been legal at one point because it was kind of so underground and rare. And then as it gained a little popularity, it became illegal. But I remember you telling me like 2CB is not something you want to try to order off the dark web and just take randomly that a lot of the stuff out there kind of in the rave scene and whatnot is potentially dangerous and could be tainted or not what it's supposed to be and things like that. So what can you tell us about 2CB for someone that's like, oh, cool, I'll go find some of that. I mean, I I would be careful with anything these days just with the fentanyl crisis um there are so many good labs now that are offering uh lab testing for your um for your stuff so i would i would highly recommend that if you know if people go and get their stuff tested um good idea yeah do you happen to know the name of any of these labs alchemist labs is is doing it alchemist labs that's just one that i met at the maps conference but there was a handful of them. So I, I know there's a lot that are out we'll there. We'll put Alchemist Labs in the show notes at lukestraw.com slash Kana. Um, with the 2CB, so you, you think that that has potential to be used in a therapeutic setting such as has been done and is being done currently with MDMA? Yeah. Um, and just to to round out your first your other question it is it's a hard one to make the the solvents that are required to make it are difficult to obtain and so there's not a lot of there's just far fewer people that are able to make that than can make something like mdma so that's why it's really important to get it tested if if you're going to seek out that kind of thing you know after doing a lot of substances I'm very sensitive to any kind of stimulant. Like, you know, MDMA is activated by an amphetamine. That stimulant in it is part of what creates that intense heart opening and that rolling sensation, which is awesome. But um, if you do a lot of it, like I I personally have a very long recovery period afterward, um, which has kind of turned me off of doing something like, like MDMA. I find that that is a lot less with, you know, a lower dose of, of 2CB. Um, as far as applica- therapeutic applications, I think what really stands out is the fact that people still feel it when they're on SSRIs. So when people are on SSRIs, they don't usually feel the effects of MDMA, which, you know, if you're, if you're going through the MAPS protocol, uh, you know, a lot of those people have depression and they're on SSRIs. Um, so I think that's, that's something that should really be looked at. But also... In the, you know, with, with couples, like the fact that it is this powerful, um, can be an aphrodisiac and you feel really good. I, I think it facilitates a, um, a level of connection that can lead to much deeper, more intimate relationships. If you've been listening to the show over the past few years, you'll know I've been pretty vocal about psychedelics and other plant medicines. They've helped me tremendously on my journey to wholeness. 
Unfortunately, they're still illegal in many places, and of course, I only use plant medicines where they're allowed and under the correct circumstances and supervision. But sometimes, I want to have a conversation with someone in the know. So if I'm out and about, how am I going to find someone who gets it? Well, I happen to have the perfect solution. Actually, I created it. It's the new, official Luke Story apparel line. At the new online store, LukeStoryMerch.com, you're just a few clicks away from sporting your very own microdosing reality hoodie. Or if you prefer, a tank top that lets the world know you're currently macrodosing, please be patient. And if you want to be a little more subtle, a 5G's, not 5G cap might be the way to go. It's got a tiny mushroom in the design, but still, only the most awake people are going to give you the nod. It'll probably just confuse the squares. All of these designs and more are available in a range of colors, even tie-dye with sizes and styles for men, women, and even kids. Visit LukeStoryMerch.com to see them all. My hope is, when you see someone out there wearing one of these designs, you'll know that you can make a connection. That's LukeStoryMerch.com. I usually, at the beginning of conversations uh, covering this subject matter, like to give a strong disclaimer, <laughs> you know, and and warning. Um, and and part of that just being the fact that I have um, such a history with addiction and um, have somehow managed, I don't know, by the grace of God, perhaps to be able to really derive much benefit from using mind-altering substances over the past few years periodically with a lot of discretion and discernment uh, without ever going back into addiction. Um, but there could be people listening that are still in the throes of addiction or might be sober and feel like all of this is off limits to them, or they might be sober and think, oh yeah, I can just go start doing a bunch of psychedelics and entheogens or whatever. Um, what are some of the risks involved in in working in the plant medicine or psychedelic space? A. B. Um, in light of those risks, what would be some, I guess, guidance or advice for people that do feel called and, um, you know, want to do so safely in a, in a productive manner? Yeah, that's a good, a big, big question to answer. Um, I that could be a whole podcast yeah, in itself. It, I know it's a very loaded question, but I, you know, just feel a sense of responsibility. I don't want to be the guy who's like, yeah, everyone should do psychedelics. Yay. Even though that is kind of, you know, based on the benefits that I've derived from those experiences, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of value there, but maybe not for everyone. And it can certainly go very wrong, which I experienced um, numerous times early in life when I was just indiscriminately throwing anything at the wall that would stick in terms of the walls of my brain and had a lot of terrifying and very negative experiences. Yeah, I, you know... I obviously, I'm not, uh, as part of the disclaimer, I'm not encouraging anyone to go seek out illegal substances, like check what's legal in your, wherever you live. And, and that's part of what I'm doing with, with Kana Extract Company is to offer safe legal options for people to begin to explore psychedelics and, and plant medicines. I think that there is absolutely the potential for abuse with psychedelics. And you and I have both witnessed that. I live in, in the LA area and we're seeing ketamine get abused like crazy in the, the party scene there. 
when when psychedelics are used intentionally, they aren't addictive per se. And, and I think part of that has to do with a lot of the experience that people have when they when they take a a true psychedelic is a, an experience of connection, whether that's connection with themselves or with other people that they're they're going on this journey with, or just a more profound connection to to life, which seems to be facilitated a lot by things like mushrooms. Um, that experience of connection seems to be what's at the root of a lot of people's addiction. Um, that said, I, I think there's, and they don't, as far as I know, none of them produce a, a physical dependency. So they don't fit that definition of addiction. Um, but where I, where I think people run into trouble is if, if they don't have the proper container to begin exploring these kinds of experiences that really facilitate the integration when you're coming out the other end of the experience because it can almost have like a negative consequence where you feel like such a profound connection and then afterwards you go back to your normal life and you feel almost even more empty because now you have the contrast of, of the two and and so i think that can be a potential problem area that leads to abuse um i think having a like a proper respect for them is is really important. I, I I think there's a lot of wisdom in shamanic traditions or indigenous traditions around plant medicine use, where they create a ritual around, you know, going into a, an experience, coming out of it, an experience, things that you do in the experience, and and I think what's built into that that act of ritual is a certain level of respect that. Um, just creates a different relationship to, to these substances. I, and that's, you know, that's things to be careful of just using with the substances themselves. I think there's a whole another part of this when it comes to how you select the people that you decide to do this work with that is equally, if not more important, because there's just so many ways you can, you can get into trouble doing this. Um, and I think just a very brief way of, of, Addressing that is is really taking responsibility for yourself, not looking like not giving your your power away to to anyone, um, doing your own research, and um, I, I yeah I think those those three simple things no matter what context you're exploring this in will will really go a long way and just keep you out of trouble. I'm glad you mentioned the latter because, man, that is such an important piece. And I've been fortunate enough to maybe just have a good gut feeling and run in circles where people are pretty clean and of high integrity. Uh, but I've I've heard some gnarly stories, <laughs> for sure. But just in um, my observation of other people who haven't been so lucky and hearing some stories about facilitators and I don't know, not so much shamans even, although I've heard some, you know, third hand stories of really gnarly stuff happening in the jungles in South America and things like that, of people exploiting and abusing people. And I'm, I'm sure that happens, but just in my immediate circles, something that's been kind of difficult for me to get my head around is that someone can 
spend a lot of time, many years working with plant medicines and psychedelics in the context of um, facilitation and still be uh, very dark and uh, lacking integrity. And that to me is, uh, you know, part of my naivete in this. And like I said, I've been lucky to not interface with those people personally, but just hearing stories, you know, in, in these circles, I, it's hard for me to fathom how someone could say, spend years working with something like ayahuasca, which is such um, an illuminator of shadow within, within the person using it. It's, it's just hard for me to fathom that you could journey consistently for a period of time and yet still be um, the type of person that would take advantage of someone or lie or manipulate or you know what I mean or have power trips or form your own little shamanic cult and just weird stuff that that does happen uh, it's hard for me to imagine that because in all of the experiences I've had especially early on when I was just starting to venture into this um, some years ago I mean the first many journeys I had the first were um, mostly with ayahuasca I mean the every hour in those journeys was spent just looking in all the nooks and crannies of my character and dealing with my trauma and the uh, patterns that I had developed in my life that were either destructive to myself or maybe more importantly in some cases de destructive to other people with whom I shared relationships you know so it's just over the years those experiences for me have refined me in any areas of my life in which I'm out of integrity or not even just not being authentic or truly honest and um, and giving and selfless and all the things that I aspire to be those are the things that come front and center in every journey you know like ah you're a little bit full of shit over here you're being selfish over here whatever it is right so it's still just hard for me to fathom how someone who has the potential to exploit other people, manipulate, abuse other people, how do you take psychedelics and then emerge out of that and still be that person? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> because it's like, I don't know, in my experience, it just clears everything away that is not pure in me. And I become a, a much higher integrity person as time goes on through those experiences, you know? And then it, it even becomes more finely tuned and more nuanced where... I'm pretty clean, honest, authentic, integrous person, right? And then I'll see just some very subtle thing that isn't even a big deal. And then that'll even bother me and I'll work on that and overcome that. So I'm just, I don't even know if there's a question there. It's just so weird that people could do that kind of work and not clean themselves up and still be messy and you know, <laughs> yeah. untrustworthy. It's just weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's uh and it happens a lot as a culture we're really stumbling our, our way through this exploring consciousness with these these medicines we're having the mirror held up to the way we structure everything and so how are we going to yeah how, how are we going to meet the demand for these things at scale with our existing structures like it's you know it all of that is being reflected to us with examples like what you're describing and, and so i think these people that have large followings they they get trapped in a situation where they're not able to do their own work you know they're in a, a, 
a position that they're holding as a facilitator or a, a leader or whatever, where the whole, I mean, in some cases, the whole business revolves around holding up that, maintaining that persona. And um, it doesn't leave a lot of room for a person to make mistakes or even be able to see their own own mistakes and, and deal with it. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of the, you know, what's being called like neo-shamanism, just a, a lot of leaders in medicine space that are just rising with this popularity. Um, you know, what you described in terms of psychedelics helping you keep your ego in check, that hasn't been my experience for everyone. I mean, some people, it does seem to be an amplifier. It takes a certain amount of wisdom to keep yourself in check and, and to make sure that you are keeping relationships in your life that don't serve as more of like an echo chamber, but more of um, help you grow, help you, help you see your blind spots. And yeah, I, I think that's important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It reminds me um, kind of of the phenomenon of the fallen, the fallen guru syndrome right where you have someone who has legitimate spiritual gifts and they begin to share those and the the radiation of those gifts is magnetizing to groups of people and then those groups of people put their leader on a pedestal and if the leader doesn't have the wisdom and discernment to avoid the trappings of that and starts taking their own magic, right, <laughs> too seriously, I can see, to your point, that uh, at some point it might be difficult for them to continue to do the work on themselves and, and are sort of, you know, um, getting reflections from people um, about their uniqueness and their gifts. And it's, it's probably easy to become um, self-deluded in those kind of scenarios. You know, I, I probably had it as as bad of an experience with that as as anyone. And and so I'm definitely very, very turned off by like gurus and, and anything that even feels like that. But what I'll say is that I you know, I think it was very fortunate in the way that I discovered psychedelics and and the way that I saw these people working with it, because you know, at least what my experience of it was was that the focus was not on the the leader or the guide. It wasn't even so much the focus on the substances. It was on the container itself. And so I saw these, these communities of people that were journeying all over the country. And a lot of them had been journeying for like, some of them like 20 years. And they they came together several times a year. And over the course of several years, this really incredible uh container was built from the relationships that people were forming with each other over the course of having all these journeys and the like the depth of experience like the kinds of experiences these these compounds can create um yeah i mean i saw relationships that just you don't really see in in the day-to-day -day world and and that just being in that space, that con that I keep calling it a container, but that group of people to do that work in was powerful medicine. I mean, you could it has an energetic to it, and within there, there 
there is a a level of safety that experiences seem to facilitate themselves. And and so I, I think there's always going to be a need for someone who is like, you know, in a group setting, someone that's educated on all the different substances and potential um, health hazards, like to keep people safe. That, that I think is, is really important to have someone that's not taking something and is monitoring the space to keep people safe. But I think with um, proper education for everyone and proper tools for everyone, that, that containers can be self-facilitating and that that can be a really cool model for, for doing this work that allows for everyone to participate in the doing of work rather than there being this one person that sits on the outside that can't do their own work. Well said. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm realizing is that um, I can't base my own subjective experience and the refinement of my morality uh, in relation to the expectation that that's going to happen for other people as well. (laughs) You know, like anywhere that I'm out of my value system and out of my morality is revealed to me. And the the more experiences I have with medicine just further refine that and keep me in line, you know? And so I think, you know, naively, I think in the past I've thought, well, that's how it is for everyone. But that's obviously not the case because I've, I've met people that have much experience in these realms and most definitely lack morality, ethics, and are definitely unable to provide the safety that you described that is so necessary in these situations. I think that's really the key word. That's the one that stands out to me is safety. Because man, when you're in a journey, I don't know of any other time other than perhaps when you're an infant, when you were that vulnerable, right? If you, if you truly surrender into the experience and, you, and you're able to find a deep level of trust, there has to be an equal level of safety to meet you there right and if you come in with that surrender and trust and that safety is limited or artificial fraudulent because the people with whom you're working lack moral standards and integrity it's very unsafe it could get real squarely you know if if that as you said container isn't tightly held and held with some intentionality yeah, I I think it actually takes being burned in that space to properly appreciate what you're describing, like to be a, a facilitator and really appreciate exactly what you're dealing with in terms of the level of vulnerability. Um, it it should be like a required process in your training <laughs> as you're to to yeah to go through that so you know. Um, just yeah, how how easy it is, even unconsciously, to take advantage of people in that space and and to to really treat it with the respect that it deserves. Um, and I, you know, I I think you in particular are a uh, you know you're a very spiritual person. You're not you're not typical, and I and I definitely think that you hold yourself to. Um, like you hold yourself to a higher standard that that keeps your ego in in check when you're i mean from just from the few conversations that I've had with you it seems like you're doing that all the time not just within medicine work um so yeah I, well thank you yeah. I'll I won't let that go to my head <laughs> <laughs>
Holy smokes, fam. I'm turning 53 years old this year, and I am here to tell you there are benefits to being older. I'm wiser and much more stable than I was when I was younger. I'm still learning and growing, of course, but I generally make far fewer bad decisions, and I'm happier overall than ever before. But I'll be honest, the process of aging itself, I'm just going to say it, it sucks. Your joints start creaking, your energy crashes earlier in the day, and your body gets less flexible. But perhaps the worst part is the feeling of just not being in your prime anymore. But don't lose heart. I'm always looking for solutions, and I found a powerful and novel remedy I'm going to tell you about right now. One of the culprits behind that middle-aged feeling is the accumulation of what are called senescent cells in the body. And senolytics are on the leading edge of anti-aging research. They're designed to help the body decrease the burden of these cells. And that helps make room in the tissues for more youthful cells and promotes whole body rejuvenation. My go-to is the Qualia Synolytic because their formula collectively covers a broader range of mechanisms than any other Synolytic supplement on the market. Any one of its ingredients is an all-star. But this bad boy brings nine of them together to extend your prime so that by the time you reach wise elder status like me, you still feel virile and full of life. Go to neurohacker.com stylist to try it out with a 100-day money-back guarantee. And when you use the code STYLIST at checkout, you'll also get 15% off. The Neurohacker Synolytics program is a simple two-day rejuvenation regimen you take monthly. You can think of it as a preventative cleanse for aging. So again, hit up neurohacker.com STYLIST. That's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com STYLIST. And again, that code is STYLIST to save 15%. You know, it, it's, it's true. And also it's not even, it's not out of virtue, right? It's just life is so painful and chaotic when one allows the ego to lead. It's just simple math, right? It's just like, okay, one plus one equals two. And if you don't like two, you stop adding one and one together over time, little by little, you know, and then you, you fuck up and you, you go, oops, I did it again. I added those together and look where I am. I got myself in a situation. And then, you know, hopefully you remember that hot stove next time and keep yourself in some equanimity. So thank you for that. I definitely um, want to move into talking about Kana. I just, you know, I know you, you've, been in these circles for a long time and have a lot of experience. And I, I just, you know, like I said, beginning of this little section, just want to issue um, a statement of caution and if not caution, at least prudence. And I think it has a lot to do with vetting the people with whom you're going to have these experiences, you know, because they, they really are such an important part of it. Um, and, you know, last thing I'll say on that is this, is that depending on what substance you're working with, and this is hard to even describe and I'm sure to take in for someone who has never been interested in going into these realms and it's not for everyone, but those that have, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, DMT, 5-MeO-DMT, ayahuasca, mushrooms, I mean, it's an interdimensional space <laughs> and there's as many different types of people that there are in the earthly plane there are, you know, from the most angelic and saintly to the most depraved, well, those kind of energies and entities also exist in that infinite spectrum of dimensions in which you exist 
in a medicine space. So it's like the, the integral part of a facilitator or shaman who has traveled within those dimensions and spaces and knows how to keep you safe, not only safe in your body in this realm, but safe in all of the different planes of reality in which you're going to be working. I mean, that's serious business. And this is where you see, um, you know, people having psychotic episodes after journeys and things like that. I mean, I'm seeing this more and more, I think, just because people are indiscriminately entering into these um, experiences with either someone who lacks integrity or someone who lacks the experience and the, um, you know, the wherewithal to keep not only the physical container, but the astral and etheric containers clean and clear too. And there's a reason why shamans shake rattles and light things on fire and have all these rituals. It's not just to make it fun and interesting. There's a purpose to that. Remember the first time I sat with ayahuasca, actually, I asked one of the facilitators, I was like, you know, why are you doing this thing? And why'd you do this thing at this point? And, you know, she had all these kind of micro rituals within the ceremony. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm creating the grid. I was like, the grid? What's that? We're in a maloca in Costa Rica. She's like, we have to keep the entities out. And I was like, whatever. You know, I'm like, oh shit, I know exactly what she means now. It can get crunchy out there, you know, without someone there who really knows how to hold that pristine space and, and fill it with nothing but love and light and purity. So that's my, you know, um, that's our disclaimer for people. That said, before we get into Kana, and you can say no if you're not willing, but one of the best psychedelic stories I've ever heard in my life, and I've heard many of them and have some of my own, was when you took an exorbitant amount of mushrooms and went to the Monterey <laughs> um, uh, Aquarium. Oh my God, you want me to tell this story? Yeah, you could, <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to take up too much time because I really do, I do want to share the beauty of, of this, you know, this plant kana with people, but um, that like is maybe the best story I've ever heard. I wonder if I can get in trouble for telling it. Okay, I, I'll tell it. um okay so it was i think it might have been like 2015 2016 um and it was thanksgiving day (laughs) and uh i you know the people i lived with everyone was going and visiting family for um vacation and so i um i thought you know, I was living in Monterey at the time, right down the street from the aquarium. And I, um, I thought, oh, like no one's going to be at the aquarium today. Um, so I'll just take like a little bit of mushrooms and go hang out with some cool life forms at, at the aquarium. Um, so I, uh, I have to be careful about some of the parts that I, so I, um, I you re- can edit as needed. Okay. I mean, and no, you know, I think it's, it is a cautionary fine. tale too. I mean, to just sum up our, you know, yeah, kind of uh, I, disclaimer, <laughs> this is, he's not recommending you do this. It's, it's definitely a cautionary tale. When you told me that I was like, note to self, don't do that. Um, so I, uh, reached into this bag in a freezer in this house I was living in and, and this particular, uh, batch of mushrooms had been grown in a different way. Um, and so without even thinking, I just reached in and grabbed what, uh, you know, would have been like two to three grams, which for me at that time, that was not a big, a big dose. Um, threw it in a smoothie. It's like first thing in the morning, 
a smoothie, drinking the smoothie on my way to the aquarium. And I finish it by the time I get to the aquarium and I, and I walk in. Um, and I go inside and my first stop is the jellyfish exhibit. And so if you've ever been to this aquarium, you will know that this is first a very special aquarium. There's, uh, it's very well done. Um, and every, yeah, it's just a, a really beautiful space. And the jellyfish exhibit in particular is a very um, dimly lit room. It's almost dark. The only light is is the um, light that's coming from the the behind the glass and the tanks that the jellyfish are in. And it has this overhead ambient like amber glow to it. And they play this really, it's like journey music when you, when you walk in. Um, <laughs> and I go straight up to one of the glass, the, you know, the glass and I am just in complete awe of what I am. And this, you know, and I'm like, I'm checking in regularly. Like I'm a, I'm a seasoned veteran at this point. I'm checking in. Like I feel totally normal. It's maybe like five minutes in, like there's no way the effects are coming on. Motor functions are fine. Cognitive functions are fine. Um, but I am just in complete entrainment with this jellyfish. Like there is nothing else on the planet, but this life form that is just moving with such grace. I've never experienced anything like it. And before I realize it, uh, my jaw is literally dropped. <laughs> so I'm just sitting in front of this. Uh, I'm like, literally I'm stooped down by the glass, like jaw dropped in front of it. And this, what snapped me out of it with this, was this little kid came in like, you know how kids get it, like aquariums he came in, slapped his hands against the glass and started like shouting to his parents to come look. And I realized like, whoa, I am way too into these jellyfish. Like I need to get out of here before um, people think something's wrong with me. <laughs> so I, I leave the jellyfish area and I decide to go downstairs to the octopus uh, zone because uh, not as many people go down there. Um, and when I walk in, it's also dimly lit and they're, they play this kind of like at the time, this funky carnival music. And so now it's like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes in maybe. And, um, I swear to God, every exhibit that I go up to, they come up to me, <laughs> the, whatever's in there. So the first one is the cuttlefish. They come up to me and they're just locking eyes with me. And they, there seems to be some kind of, I don't know, some kind of connection that's going on. I'm not speaking um, cuttlefish at this point, but it seems like we're recognizing each other. Um, and so I go from that to then the, um, they have this giant tank that is just a big cylinder glass that has an enormous octopus in it. And I walk up to it and the octopus just locks eyes with me and is just do, I'm going to try to do this. It's just doing this like swirling motion with all of its tentacles and not breaking eye contact with me. And its skin is changing colors. I'm seeing electrical signals going up and down its tentacles. And I, it feels like I'm having a direct transmission from this octopus. And, um, at the very least, I'm recognizing that this is truly an intelligent, sentient being. 
Um, so I have this really intense exchange and I, I take a step back. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is intense. And there's this, um, the way this whole area is set up, there's these little alcoves that are kind of in the wall and there's a bench that I can sit on. So I'm sitting in this alcove and I'm looking around the whole room and I think to myself, like, wow, when did they install projector lights in here? Because I'm seeing neon geometric patterns <laughs> all over everything. And I realize, oh my God, like I'm seeing hardcore visuals right now. And this is, and I don't usually see visuals on this amount of mushrooms. So I realize I must have taken way more than I thought I have. And this is like now 15, 20 minutes. So I haven't like fully come up, come up yet. And I realize, okay, I have to get home. Like whatever this is, is going to be strong. Like I need to get home before it, it comes on. So I'm about to walk out, but to my right is the basement floor of the deep sea exhibit, which is like their, you know, it's their flagship exhibit. It's, it's the biggest uh, tank. Um, it holds like a shark in it, a giant sea turtle, all these different uh, schooling fish. And um, there's two, actually two stories of it. So the on the the upper level is almost like a big uh, auditorium seating. That's that's how to give you an idea of how big this uh, exhibit is. And then on the basement floor where I am is a wall that's maybe like the height of your first floor floor here, and the entire wall is glass, and it's a big concrete room. So I walk into the center of the room. There's no one in there. And then a thousand sardines come down and they start uh, schooling in like a perfect sphere. And, and I, again, I'm locked in this <laughs> where I can't, can't break free from whatever's happening in front of me. And um, now it's really starting to come on and I'm starting to have all these like what feel like very profound realizations at the time, like, they're the ones that are free, man. And we're the ones that are behind the, gla <laughs> the glass. And, um, and then I, it gets to a point where I realize, I feel like in my head, I am controlling their movements with my thoughts. And right when I have that thought, I realize I am walking and swaying back and forth with them along the glass. And I realize they're, tr they're controlling me with their thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> And the, this is all happening very fast. And then right at that moment, the glass disappears. The fish turn into light. I turn into light. And I have this like feeling of, of ascension. And I just slap myself in the face. I'm like, oh my God, Ryan, you have taken way too much mushrooms. Keep it together. You, you need to get home. So I, um, I <laughs> try to get out of the aquarium as fast as possible. It's still, again not even 25 minutes. So I haven't even fully come up yet. And I, um, and I think, okay, I have to get home. Like this is going to, what just happened there? Like this is going to be a full ego death level um, experience. So I leave the, um, leave the aquarium. And the moment I step outside, I realize like I'm hit by every, if you've ever pressed, if you remember like VCRs, how you could fast forward and how, jerky all the movements looked like that's how everything felt outside of this beautiful space that all these life forms in the aquarium were, were holding um and i keep having to bring myself back to baseline like 
default <laughs> consciousness, just get home. I live not like less than two minutes away. So I'm just keep telling myself, get to the car. I remember I crossed a street and right when I got to the other side of the street, I felt all these cars pass behind me. And I thought, Ryan, like you just crossed a street and you didn't even use a crosswalk. Like you need to look at yourself in a, a mirror and make sure you don't look like a maniac right, right now. And I look in a car window and instead of seeing my reflection, I see my roommate's reflection. And I realized like, oh my God, like I'm in for a big journey. So I get into my car and I'm thinking, am I really going to do this right now? And I'm staring at the steering wheel for what feels like three hours and actually like 30 seconds have gone by. <laughs> and so I, I say, no, like we have to go home. Like we cannot have this experience right now in this car on a public, public street. So I start driving. I live just up the road. And the moment I get onto the road, the road stretches to infinity. And I just keep having to slap myself in the face and say, Ryan, like, keep it together. And I get in front of my house. I get outside my car. And the moment I step onto the sidewalk, I have no memory of how I got to where I am. Obviously, it all came rushing back to me after. Something in me just said, you get up to your room and just lock the door. And so I ran into the house, locked the door behind me, uh, got under my sheets. And at that moment, um, I experienced probably the, one of the, the only thing that's ever come closest to doing 5-MEO. I mean, it, it was, it started with this roaring sensation and, and with that, like all sensory input was getting torn away and there was this tremendous amount of fear. And at the same time, like I was feeling this incredibly powerful heart opening. Like it was almost like it was actual physical pain. It was so intense. And there was something in me that just said, like, grab onto that feeling with everything that you are. And then whole, all of this world got ripped away. And, and then it was just this um, state of pure love. And after some ineffable amount of time, um, parts of my identity began to constellate around this feeling. And, um, and I was back. I thought, wow, like that was a crazy journey. How much uh, mushrooms did did I just take? And I and I went back into that same bag and I grabbed a pinch out, and it weighed sixteen grams. These were like these incredibly dense mushrooms. I figure I, I took somewhere in the neighborhood of of fourteen to to sixteen grams of of mushrooms and went to the aquarium. Wow! Do not try this at home, kids. Let's talk about brain fog, folks. It's those moments or even days when you feel forgetful, unfocused, and mentally sluggish. Now we all experience it from time to time, and I'm guessing none of us enjoy it. There are numerous possible reasons for it, like stress, poor sleep quality, and overexposure to EMF, to name a few. But there's one potential cause of brain fog that might surprise you. Did you know that 92% of people with brain fog are also deficient in minerals? And it's no mystery as to why. Industrial farming has depleted our soil so much, it's nearly impossible to get all the minerals we need from diet alone. 
And the simplest way I've found to make sure I'm covered is a once-a-day shot of MicroBoost from Beam Minerals. It provides every essential mineral the body needs, all in optimal ratios, because the fulvic and humic compounds in MicroBoost come directly from the earth. Fulvic minerals help transport nutrients into the cells while helping to remove bio-waste. And the humic complexes in MicroBoost bind with heavy metals to help carry them out of the body. So it's like a detox and replenishment at the cellular level, all in one simple one-ounce serving. To get yourself loaded up, hit up beamminerals.com and use the code LUKE20 for 20% off. And I gotta say, unlike other mineral products that can taste, frankly, quite disgusting, Beam Minerals taste just like water. And since your body recognizes them as food, Beam Minerals are 100% bioavailable. So get over to beamminerals.com and don't forget to use that code LUKE20 to save 20%. I love that story because it's funny and it's also educational. You know, I feel fortunate um, in recent years, I haven't had anything like that. But I think the thing that... um, is also interesting about that is I think for many of us when we're younger, at least for me when I was a teenager and whatnot, you don't you want to go you want to take some mushrooms or some acid and go do something cool that's like the aquarium, something visual that's interesting, you know you can just trip on, right? But we sometimes forget how long the experience that we're going to trip on is versus how long the experience of what we just took was, right? Remember I was like maybe I guess I was probably 17 or so. And we had this idea to go down to the um, Laserium in San Francisco and take acid and go watch the Pink Floyd laser show. Like no brainer, right? Pink Floyd, acid, a marriage made in heaven. So we do. Everything goes as planned. I'm peaking, having the best time ever, listening to Pink Floyd loudly and watching these lasers and just tripping balls. And didn't realize that the whole laser show is like 45 minutes and an acid trip is like eight (laughs) hours. So we took it at the right time if the laser show had been an eight-hour laser show, which it wasn't. So we walk out and similar kind of thing like, oh shit, what did we just do? And then we have to navigate the streets of San Francisco, which if you're going to try and drive on acid, San Francisco is probably the worst city in which to do so. One-way streets, crazy-ass steep hills, total nightmare and we made it home safely but um i wish i would have learned my lesson but i kept doing that over and over again going to concerts and things like that and then coming out and being like okay wow i still have five more hours of this to to go so yeah um however part of the story i do like that i would like to try is like going to the monterey aquarium and if you had the money just buy it out for the day for you and your friends right so you so you're not going to get like straight people around you and you can just ride it out and be there for the whole duration of the journey and interface with those amazing creatures that part sounds really really fun i agree yeah i don't know if you can even do that if anyone that works at the monterey aquarium is listening you know hit us up hopefully they're not listening yeah we won't put your last name in the in the uh, show notes. But yeah, I mean, those kind of experiences can be really beautiful. Obviously, you can achieve the same thing by safely being in nature, you know, presumably, but you won't get the concentration of, you know, and variety of uh, of fantastic beings that you would in a in a um, scenario like that. Yeah, and just just 
shout out to Monterey Aquarium. They've they've really done an exceptional job in the way that everything is is designed, and you just feel you don't and, need mushrooms to yeah. I mean, you, have the experience. You feel immersed. The um, they have an exhibit where it's like being in a, in a kelp forest with the like the long seaweed, and it's just amazing to just watch the the whole thing breathe, and, and it just you really see that it's just, I mean, the ocean's pretty psychedelic and you really, um, you really see that when you're, when you're at the Monterey Aquarium. Noted. I'll make a point to get out there and not eat 14 to 16 grams of mushrooms. Okay. Uh, as I often do, it takes, takes me a while to get to the, the point of a podcast. So for those still listening, thank you. I hope you found that entertaining and educational, but I would like to get into Kana and really deep dive that. So give us, the overview, what is it? Where does it come from? What historical relevance does it have for the peoples uh, from where it comes? Sure. So Kana is a succulent that is found in the deserts of South Africa. It is a true sacred plant. It's been used in ceremony, I mean, I think thousands of years is an understatement um, by the indigenous communities that live in in South Africa. And today, kana is used therapeutically for its anxiolytic benefits and mood-lifting properties. And it's um, also used recreationally or, I guess, ceremonially as well for its um, empathogenic and euphoric effects. What, What I do is I work with farms in South Africa that are, are commercially cultivating this plant, not unlike the journey of cannabis through very intentional cultivation. We've created very high alkaloid strains that, that are a um, heavy concentration of these very special alkaloids that this plant contains. Uh, and then uh, we do very sophisticated extraction techniques to render a, a stabilized, highly concentrated form of kana that can be used in low doses therapeutically or higher doses recreationally and ceremonially. Amazing. And so your new venture, and we were going to do a podcast where we talked about Hearthstone Collective. For those watching, I have one of your tinctures here. And you had all kinds of stuff going on with this with different um, medicinal mushroom blends and things like that. And I've been using the stuff you gave me a few years ago ever since because you were so generous to give me a lot of it. In in the meantime, though, you've gone full on with the Kana as a secondary venture, which is what you're describing, the Kana Extract Company. Yeah. Which is this, this thing right here. And that, for those, again, watching the video, comes in a tiny little jar with a tiny little spoon, I mean, because it's quite potent, so you, you yeah. don't need little. The t- let me see that little spoon. For those that were alive in the '80s and did cocaine, it's kind of like a coke spoon, very, very tiny spoon. Um, so before we recorded, I took two spoonfuls of this, uh, and and I don't feel like intoxicated in any way, but I feel I feel really good to the point where I might just start taking this before every podcast. Um, so if I took two spoonfuls of, of your Kana extract, and there's two different blends, and I want you to explain the difference, um, and I'm feeling like I could drive a car or work on my taxes or do whatever, you know, I wouldn't feel like doing either. I could do so safely and with the cognition needed. Um, 
if I wanted to, you know, take the night off with my wife or a couple friends and have a more ceremonial dose dose of this, how many of these little spoonfuls would I take? Being a six two hundred and sixty seven pound guy. Um. <laughs> well, if you wanted it really strong, you would take it intranasally. Ah. Uh, the lift in particular is is really great for that. So. As you mentioned, there's there's two extracts, meaning the like the composition of those alkaloids I mentioned are are different in each extract. Um, Lift is, I, I mean, I can't tell. I was surprised, but I can't tell you how many people have told me that they've had a problem with cocaine, or like there was a guy I was I had a booth and at a at a trade show, and a guy runs a men, men's circle and he's like, we had two people die from. Um, some kind of cocaine-related death. And when I told him about this and that, yeah, you can take it intranasally and and you feel amazing and it's non-addictive, and it, but you still have like a, a felt effect. Um, I mean, they were, they were really excited about it. And um, especially that fact that it is non-addictive. Um, and, and that's really what I was setting out to do with the whole line that that you'll see coming, like there's a line of vapes that are are coming out soon too with Kana Extract. Can I see the vape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I forgot I did one of those too. I took I took a one pull off the off the vape. That's become my new. Maybe go-to. I should do another one. Yeah, yeah. And you can carry on talking because sure. I'll be I'll be silent. So the the vape is actually my new go to product because I I have um, I experience a lot of situational anxiety. Um, and like public speaking, stuff like that. Like and what you're doing right now? This is my first recorded podcast live like this. So yes. I definitely was, have been very nervous, <laughs> but I love that. I uh, love, I love Virgin podcast. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so this just, it comes on quite quick and the, at least the way that I experience it is like all my anxiety just melts away, especially tension that's held in the body. I feel very relaxed in my body. Um, so I, I really like the vapes and, and I think it will, um, has the potential to support a lot of people that, that deal with stress. Um, which is 100% of the human population to some degree or another. Yeah. And it, well, and it's nicotine free, it's cannabis free. And, and I think what really stands apart from cannabis, one, I can't even take cannabis. To me, me it has the opposite effect. Oh my God, hell no. This is how I wish I felt when I smoked cannabis, and but I still feel very lucid and clear. And, you know, I don't feel stoned. Um, so I'm really excited about those. But but the idea is to create, uh, you know, alternatives to things like alcohol and other substances that are abused a lot. They're, a lot of them are toxic for your body. Um, a lot of them aren't legal. And, and so this is a, a legal option for things that help you feel good that you can take in, in social settings. And, and if you are a medicine person or medicine practitioner, I mean, with the right sentence setting, they absolutely have the capacity to open up medicine space, albeit light. You know, they don't have, and if we have time, we could get into the pharmacology of Kana. Yeah. It is, it is somewhat similar to MDMA. In, in its modes of action, but it, it lacks that amphetamine, that, that stimulant in it. Um, so it, yeah, you, you feel, um, it's not as strong as MDMA, but you, you feel a lot better the next day when you take it. Yeah, I, I find um, 
sassafras and MDMA are very challenging because of the amphetamine feeling that comes with it. There's like something really sweet in it and it's been beneficial to me, you know, used in, in ceremony at different times. So I, I don't regret it, but um, these days I, I, I'd be hard pressed to work with anyone that was using that as one of their medicines, you know? It would, it would have to be done in a specific way, you know? So I did a podcast recently uh, with someone um, who uses those medicines um, really, you know, very intelligently. And, and I didn't have that experience, but in the past, um, yeah, I felt really speedy and I, I don't like that feeling. I've wondered why people call MDMA ecstasy because a couple of years ago I went to an event and it, was, it wasn't like a proper ceremony, but... It was a it was a very mellow and heart centered group of people. I think it was for someone's birthday, and um, and they passed out like really good clean MDMA from you know Maps approved whatever. And I reluctantly took it and wasn't without anything else. It wasn't stacked with mushrooms or anything like that. And I'm looking around the room, going like, these people look like they're on something called ecstasy. I feel like I'm on something called paranoia <laughs> like i just felt so speedy and uptight and like really not good and from that moment on i was like nah it's not my it's not my jam so i i kind of share that experience with you yeah i mean that's that's the beauty of combining kana with mdma is it you know i mean i would take like half the dose of, of mdma and and add this to it if i were to do something like that um and it really makes it a, a much smoother, more gentle, heart opening. But you still are going to get that full, you know, that experience that, that you have with, with a strong heart opener like MDMA. With the vape and these powdered extracts, I think by the time those come out, people will be able to find them uh, on your site. So we'll put a link to it at lukestory.com slash Kana. And we'll also link your Hearthstone collective stuff, which I want to touch on too. So for people that are like, oh, cool, this sounds interesting to me. Um, and you want to explore it. Uh, we're obviously both fans. Tell us a little bit about the pharmacology of it. You know, you mentioned these different compounds that are extracted from this succulent called Kana that's been around for thousands of years. What what are the constituents of the product that you have here? Yeah, so, you know, I keep saying this word alkaloid. I don't know if everyone knows what alkaloid means, but alkaloids are organic compounds that are found in things like plants and mushrooms that are largely responsible for the things that you feel when you take plants and mushrooms. So like psilocybin is an alkaloid in mushrooms. Um, the primary... The primary alkaloid in, in Kana is mesembrine. Um, but this is an incredibly uh, botanically complex plant. It has over 28 known alkaloids that each have measurable effects on the body. Um, and so there's a lot of exciting things that I think will, will come out of this plant as, as the industry grows around it. But for the purposes of these products, the, the primary alkaloids that I work with our mesembrine, mesembrinone and delta-7, mesembrinone. And, it, and it's with these three alkaloids that you're actually able to create a range of different experiences with the plant because each alkaloid has a different felt effect. And so in different combinations with an extract like Lyft, 
you can create a more stimulating, more energizing, more of like an outward outgoing experience, which is like great for parties and, and festivals or just feeling more optimistic and up during the day. Um, where bliss, we, we tone down the mesembrine content in it and it's, it's definitely more of a, I wouldn't say sedating, but you feel relaxed and like melty. And I mean, you feel very blissful when you, when you take it. Which, which version is in this vape? We're going to do both. So that's, oh, okay. uh, I, I believe that's bliss in there. That's just like a beta test as we are oh, okay. but the, um, both will be available. Oh, cool. Lift, lift and bliss. I feel nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Right? I kind of don't want to record a podcast now. <laughs> I guess I'll pretend like we're not and we're just hanging out. Yeah, chatting, yeah. Know, we're just is... talking about these these cool products. Yeah. Um, so mesembrine is more stimulating. This is largely responsible for the euphoric, empathogenic, like heart opening effects of Kana. Um, it is the one that is the uh, primarily responsible as like a bioamine releasing agent. So it stimulates the release of more serotonin, more dopamine or norepinephrine into your synapse. It also has light SSRI activity. So it functions like an SSRI, but it, apparently without a lot of the side effects that come with conventional SSRIs. And then you have mesembrinone, which is uh, lightly relaxing, but it's actually primarily an antipsychotic. So it actually helps balance a lot of things, not just these blends, but when you're combining it with other, um, if you combine it with something like psilocybin or MDMA, uh, I, I, I feel like that is a very important component of it because as a uh, PDE4 inhibitor, um, PDE4 inhibitors within the pharmaceutical world are, are very successful antipsychotics. So treating things like bipolar, schizophrenia, more intense mental health issues. You don't hear about a lot of them being used, like pharmaceutical PDE4 inhibitors, because they have intense emetic side effects. You, you throw up violently when you take them, so no one can be on them. So that part is really cool about, about Kana. And a lot of this, that I, things that I'm saying in terms of the pharmacology, I just want to state like this is referring to actual studies a lot of which were paid for by a company called Zembrin, which pharmaceuticalized Akana extract about 30 years ago. And they, they did a lot of studies on with actual humans for 30 years, which is really cool and unique about Kana that we have all of this data for 30 years that it's like a very safe uh, thing to take uh, daily if, if you wanted to. Um, wow. That that is very interesting. Yeah, because we don't have that long of data on microdosing something like, uh, and I should say within the right dose range, <laughs> taking it daily. But yeah. We don't have that length of data with with psilocybin or LSD, which are very common for people to microdose. And so the third alkaloid is delta seven mesembrinone, and this is the one that's very relaxing. It can be almost sedating, and and so what we do is we. You know, are not only on the on the cultivation aspect or the cultivation side selecting plants that have naturally have levels that that fall into certain ranges, but then through our extraction process, we're able to do a, a blending that lets us standardize to these extract profiles that we have here. That that will, it, you know, it's important to have that standardization so you have the consistency and the reliability, especially if someone is 
looking to Kana to support them with mental health. We all know the food supply is depleted of key nutrients, and that's why we supplement. The problem is that most supplements on the market are made in a way that your body just can't absorb. Of all the minerals we need and don't get enough of from food, magnesium is at the top of the list. It's called on for over 800 enzymatic reactions in the body. It's crucial for heart health, immune function, and overall energy. But if you can't absorb them, magnesium supplements just end up being expensive urine. Womp womp. Enter Upgraded Magnesium from Upgraded Formulas. It's the only clinically studied, stabilized nanomagnesium supplement on the market. Nano supplements are broken down to bypass digestion and go straight into the blood where they can travel throughout your body and get to where they need to go. Upgraded Magnesium is absorbed up to 99.99%, which means you'll feel the results instantly. It's also clinically proven to improve sleep quality and energy by over 60%. Specifically, it improves light sleep by 90%, REM sleep by 160%, and deep sleep by 250%. That means you can sleep 6 hours instead of 8 and feel and look just as good. If you want to get on board with all that, just visit UpgradedFormulas.com and use the code LUKE15 for 15%. And Upgraded Formulas is inviting lifestylist listeners to take the 14-day sleep challenge. Get your hands on some upgraded magnesium, pop four capsules per night, and track your sleep with an Aura Ring or a Whoop Band. They guarantee better, deeper sleep or your money back, so you can't lose. Again, that's UpgradedFormulas.com, and the code is LUKE15. Totally. I mean, to the point of your um, mushroom aquarium experience, right? It's like, that's not standardized, taking a handful and you go, oh, these were actually more dense than the mushrooms I'm used to taking, therefore have more of the active ingredient. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, guesswork with any kind of substances like this is not the win. As I was telling you before, I did guesswork on a... um, what I thought would be a, a totally uh, mellow light ke- ketamine dose years ago. And it was not that because I just kind of eyeballed it and wasn't paying attention and it was not a pleasant experience. So, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you're being like so myopic in your production, right? That everything is lab tested and very specific according to what alkaloids and how much. And yeah. I mean, so the journey of how I how I came to this, you know, you showed the the Hearthstone tincture. So I started off with Hearthstone Collective, and and um, that was many years ago. I think it's like five or six years ago now, which is crazy. Um, but as you know, I, I mentioned, kind of my journey started more in like the ceremonial space. But when people started looking uh, at microdosing more seriously, and it started becoming more popular. Um, that's when I started looking at, at Kana as a way of giving people a, an entry point into um, microdosing and, and working with psychedelics with something that was legal, but also had a lot of the efficacy that people were looking for. Um, and and the more I started looking at Kana and realizing that it was checking all the boxes. I mean, it had the efficacy, it was legal, It you felt something when you took it. It was an actual sacred plant that's been used in ceremony. Um, 
And, and so I created a line of Kana microdosing formulas. And so that's what Hearthstone is essentially, is a line of, these are very low therapeutic doses of Kana that are designed to be taken daily. And they're, as you mentioned, they're stacked. Uh, they're very intentionally stacked with other botanicals um, to really focus in on a specific use case, like something that, uh, an area that someone is looking for support with it's pretty easy to like look at a product and match it up. And then if they're working with a facilitator or some kind of microdosing coach, they're able to actually, or self-educating, they can build a real protocol um, with the line that's on there. And um, yeah, I got, I, I mean, I really dove in with, with Kana and, and I can tell. I mean, I love, I love the plant because it's, it's a, it's a heart medicine. Like it has that energetic and, there aren't a lot of heart openers that you can microdose and, and especially without diminishing returns. So I think that's very unique. And, and I think that'll excite a lot of people in the plant medicine space that here's this empathogen that they can work with going back. So then in the journey of creating the, this, this line, I just was looking for the best Kana possible. And, um, got burned a few, a few times and and realized I'm going to have to create the best <laughs> kind of extracts possible. And and so I, I I met some really amazing people in, in South Africa and they are now my supply partners. And, and that's what I'm setting out to do with, with Kana Extract Company is, is to provide the best possible Kana extracts in terms of its purity, its potency, the way it's cultivated, what we're cultivating, the ethics of it, 3% of all of the kana that I purchase goes to support indigenous communities that, that have traditional knowledge around kana. Wanting to offer full transparency, at least as much as possible. I have third-party lab testing. A lab that's not affiliated with me in any way uh, does all the lab testing and we post the lab results openly on our website. And we're not only testing for the alkaloid content, but also like the standards, it's free of heavy metals, free of biocontaminants, but where we're going above and beyond and where I think customers should really start to demand this of their the companies that they're sourcing from is, is testing for residual solvents and pesticides. Because when you're working with high potency extracts, you, like, you, just, you need to make sure that it's clean. And um, I've seen in this journey of just seeing other people that are doing extracts of Kana, you really need to make sure there's no residual solvents and, and pesticides in it. Right. Because if you're concentrating the active ingredients of this plant, this a succulent in this case, you're also then concentrating any contaminants, right? If it's sprayed with glyphosate or something, you're extracting that and concentrating that into a tiny little pill, potion or powder or whatever. I yeah. never thought about that. That's scary. Some of the stuff I saw when I was in, I was just in South Africa recently and some of it was scary. Legitimately scary. Wow. That wow. reminds me of um, years ago, I saw a video, you know, somewhere in Bolivia or something of guys in the jungle making cocaine, right? And you're like, oh, the beautiful plants, the coca plant, you know, that seems innocent enough. And then they just turn it into a white powder. No big deal. You know, leaving aside the sanitary conditions, you know, these cats are like, 
putting it all in a barrel, pounding it uh, with their feet barefoot you know, out in the jungle. And then they pour a huge, they pour it in a huge vat of gasoline, like straight up like gasoline. And then, you know, so on and so on and hexane and all these different extracts. And I was thinking like, oh my God, even if it was really, I guess, high quality, clean cocaine, who knows what's in it by the time it hits the street. And I just, you know, I shuddered for all of the dirty cocaine I probably snorted earlier in life. But the extracts is a huge thing. I mean, that's the thing in the, in the, you know, CBD industry, a lot of people are using hexane and nasty stuff. I mean, it is a ubiquitous problem and there's not a lot of public awareness about it. So yeah, it's it's not, it's not required. And, and, you know, there's a lot of really potent, like there's potent rhodiola extracts out there that that should be tested for for all this. Um, so <laughs> I love that you're doing that and that you're putting the third party lab test on your site. That's epic. I appreciate your integrity. And um, you know, since I learned about Kana from you, and over the years you've sent me samples of different things you're working on and the Hearthstone Collective stuff. And so, like, I've just trusted you. So I trusted your stuff. I didn't need to go on your site and see a lab test. But if I happen to run out of Kana, I have ordered it online from different sites that are just, I don't know, the sites that sell nootropics or whatever. And, you know, I read the fine print and make sure that there's no funny business going on. And I I think that they were probably clean, but I've never actually felt the effects of them really. You know, like I think I have a jar of Kana down there and it's like, ah, I think it's clean. I look through their website and I think they're trustworthy in terms of contamination, but I don't really feel it like I want to feel it. If I'm going to take something that has a potential to make you feel different than you feel and open your heart and some of the effects that you describe, um, that's why I'm spending my money on it. You know, it's like I want it to hit to whatever degree. Maybe it's a microdose and I don't feel it because, you know, by the definition of microdose, it's sort of sub perceptual, ideally, right? You just feel, oh, I had a good day today. And you don't really notice that you took something. But um, uh, with what you've created here, I mean, it's kind of cool because you can titrate dose to where you do feel it depending on the setting as you described yeah you can choose to use it therapeutically should you wish or or recreational and i like i think i say i'm using the word recreational but that can be very therapeutic to just have all your anxieties melt away and to just feel a lot happier and and able to connect with your loved ones or eat more easily that that said, Hearthstone is very easy to just like you take these that are already in capsules it's very easy to just dose and you know, take your daily dose. Yeah. And why did you split it into two different brands? Well, first I started this, I thought I was just going to do the pure extracts. And I thought I was going to be primarily a supplier for, for other companies that would be, you know, my, what really excites me is the cultivation and, and the extraction process. Like I'm, I get really nerdy about, cause this is a, this is a really unique extract. Like it's, it's, these a lot of these alkaloids are water soluble. It's not hard to take a lot of them out of kana, but it's it's really hard to take them out of kana and and render the, uh, like render them in a form that's stable that doesn't degrade really quickly. And so that's um, a lot of the other suppliers that I'm seeing out there. They'll do make a kana extract, and while it'll be potent, maybe right after they made it, if you test it like two or three months later, it's, it's gone. Uh, that must be what happened to mine. <laughs> so that, that can happen. Yeah. You need uh so it's hard. These, the, it's hard to stabilize these. 
Um, so stabilizing the extract is is a big what makes these very unique. And then um, that it's this beautiful powder form. Um, that's not easy to do. If you, I don't know if you've ever tried to do an extract before and it becomes this like gooey, clumpy mess. Um, so these are, are very unique, beautiful extracts that are made by some really talented people. Um, and then the the plants themselves, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool journey of or story of how these plants even came to be. Uh, because for the longest time, people were very skeptical of whether kana is psychoactive, if you'd actually feel anything when you take it. And people are still skeptical because there's a lot of bad <laughs> kana products that are out there. Um, and so, you know, you had a company, Zembrin, and they were the first to come in and they, they, um, they stabilized a strain, but it, it was a relatively low alkaloid strain that they stabilized and brought into cultivation and, and they have do all their farming in-house. And it's, I mean, they really paved the way for, for everyone else. And like I said, they funded a lot of the initial research, but the people that I work with, they had a close relationship with a man named Richard Catella, who was a, a chief of one of the indigenous communities that I um, mentioned that have a traditional knowledge around this plant. It's where his clan lived that high alkaloid kana was found, high alkaloid strains of Scalitium tortuosum. And, and he told us where to go um, and showed us where the plants were. And then they brought the um, that plant into cultivation or essentially what they had to do in order to stabilize it uh, because the plant is not geographically stable. I mean, it's not the alkalis aren't stable in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, a plant that grows very well in one place uh, or that grows well in the wild does not necessarily grow well in cultivation. And to make it even more complicated, a plant that grows well in cultivation in one area, even one area of South Africa, does not like Kana land does not necessarily grow well on the other end of the country oh, in, in Cape Town. Uh, so a lot of work was done to stabilize it and it was hybridized with another Scalitium species called Scalitium expansum. And it was through that process that they were able to stabilize the highest alkaloid strain of Kana that exists. It's called DV17. And, um, and that's essentially like a lot of people have taken those genetics and so there's everyone's growing it there or a lot of people are growing it there even though they didn't they didn't make it um but that's that's essentially what you have to grow in order to produce high potency kana um and it's a very rigorous process to even get that plant producing a high alkaloid content where your farms are located you you almost essentially have to be attached to a lab that can do regular testing of your your physical material I've been pretty much obsessed with the principles of quantum energy for years. Before any particle manifests physically, it exists as pure quantum energy, and that includes our bodies. And every person constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. But things like EMF and toxic air, food, and water diminish our body's energy. And this, my friends, is why I use Leela Quantum products every day. Walk through my house and you'll see them everywhere, like the quantum block on our kitchen island, for example, which we use to charge our food, drink, and supplements to increase their nourishing potential. 
Leela Quantum develops and studies its quantum products to help mitigate harmful EMF effects, activate the body's self-healing powers, and strengthen our biofield. The pure quantum energy they use is also part of every cell. It's a form of source energy. It's natural and very real. And there's a long list of randomized placebo-controlled single and double-blind studies proving the many effects of Leela Quantum products. Leela Q products neutralize EMF, optimize HRV, and improve the blood. This has been shown in the various studies to which I referred, as you can see for yourself right on their website. To upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure quantum energy right now, visit leelaq.com and get 10% off your first order with the code LUKE10. That's L-E-E-L-A-Q, leelaq.com. So yeah, so that's essentially what we're growing. You know, we're not certified organic, but it's essentially organic cultivation practices and yeah i mean i could i could go so really deep cool. into the cultivation if you want me to but please guide me no, I, to, I, love to talk it. About I mean this is i can only hope and assume that some people listening um like the details on things because i do i just have a brain i want to know how everything works down to the minutiae of it so i find it to be really interesting it kind of reminds me um of the Amanita muscaria mushrooms, you know, uh, which I recently discovered and have been using with some regularity after interviewing a guy about them. Shout out to Dragon. So yeah, he's a good guy. I, commit, met, I met him. You met him? Yeah, he's oh, really cool. cool. He's committed his whole life to this mushroom. He's um, a mushroom shaman for sure. Yeah, and what's similar maybe to a greater degree um, in what you described with the cultivation of kana is that you, you can't cultivate Amanita it has to be found in the wild. It's wild foraged or not because it has to grow under trees. You know, it's so interesting how nature creates some of these things and kind of puts the brakes on on humans and animals from, you know, I guess not animals in, in this case, but um, puts the brakes on us from being able to kind of um, commodify it, right? Like there's just, you can buy Amanita mushrooms online. I have them linked on my website and there's a few people, but they're going out and wild harvesting these things, you know? And there's only so many of them in so many places of the world in different seasons. And they're very particular about where they grow. So I, I kind of like the aspect of things like this that are that are rare and sort of uh, of higher value because of their, their scarcity. Um, but it sounds like in this case, um, there is some scalability. If people, you know, the people for you at least specifically, or the people you're working with have isolated this strain that, produces uh, the alkaloid content and the variety of them that you want, the place in which they're doing it, you know, as a repeatable process, and then the lab testing in conjunction with that to make sure that they keep going that way. Uh, is it is what you're doing scalable? I mean, say people listen to this podcast, and then, you know, you end up going on Joe Rogan and 50,000 people want to buy your kana. Could you keep up with that if it becomes more um, prevalent in our culture? <laughs> well, we're... Um... We can, yeah, we're, we're scaling up for sure. I um, think big, forgive yeah, me. You no, know, no, just... no, that's the intention. So yeah. uh, it is very scalable. Uh, our, my intention with this, you know, with these retail products, like I mentioned, I'm very interested in the cultivation, the extraction. Um, and my intention with this brand was to create some, like it's very simple packaging. You may have noticed. I like it. Is, is like, it's minimal. This this plant is so versatile. I wanted to create a really simple product just to meet 
other brands and medicine makers and show them like, you guys should do do something with this because we can help them. We can create custom extracts. We can do full product formulation or at least consulting on product formulation. Uh, if people want to use Kana as an active ingredient to really like activate whatever their, their product is. Um, that was my intention with this was just to have something for people to see the possibilities with. And then the vapes too, like these are, are just two very simple vapes, but they can be, I mean, we can do all, all kinds of really cool things with it. With the vape, um, which thanks for reminding me that it's sitting here because I'm going to have another draw on this vape. Uh, I've never used vapes. This might be the first time I've ever tugged on one. Uh, but I do hear in the periphery a lot of noise about the toxins that are people are using in the different syrups for nicotine products and cannabis products and things like that. Like Vape is a very scary word. I can only assume based on your attention to detail and your integrity and care for humanity that you found a way to do it without putting a bunch of weird shit in it. You know, I've never vaped either. This was the first time I've ever I'm going to do it right now, by the way. Um, Carry on. Yeah, so I'm definitely still learning this world. Uh, the reason why I'm so attracted to it is because the demand is crazy for it. Like the amount that people vape is absurd like I, while i was in south africa there was a um a report on the like a tv was playing in the background and it just happened to be broadcasting that the amount of vapes that are thrown in the trash every month in just the uk is like five million vapes a month so the amount of people is is that you can reach with a product like this is wild i mean i like i said this is how i wish when i this is how I wish I felt when I smoked cannabis. And, and so I, I do believe that it's a form that a lot of people are going to really enjoy. And it is kind of fun to blow out <laughs> smoke. Uh, as far as the, I mean, it's very pure that all the, what the lab tests will be posted. It's just the R extract, propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. And that's basically the standard for, for making a vape. And if we find something that's better that will still hold the extract properly dispersed, then we'll switch to that. But this is just what, I mean, this is, I guess, as clean as a, a vape will get. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah. It feels <laughs> so, really nice. I like it. I Like I said, it's my yeah. new go-to and I've never used a vape before in my life. Yeah, that's. I think that's my third puff on that. I feel, I feel quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel good. I mean, like I could totally drive i don't you're I don't, functioning yeah, yeah i don't feel like high per se but i do i feel i feel quite relaxed it's nice i i'd like to get a couple more of these I could, i'll send you I'd a bunch like, as i'd like to put in an advanced order for when these yeah. are and for people listening I, I think by the time this comes out usually it's six to eight weeks after we do a recording by the time it's published okay. so yeah we should have them you know you stay in touch with with my my team my people and um you know we'll put this out after you feel like you're fully there so that people don't go to your site and be like, wait, where's the vape thing? Yeah, and we'll uh we'll give you a uh, discount code too. We'll put all of it at lukestore.com slash Kana. Yeah. And and thank you for that. I I don't like require it, but it's always nice when no, guests I'm, come. I'm happy to. So yeah. That they, you know, hook the audience up because I don't want them hearing about cool stuff and be like, oh great, I have to pay retail. Um man, I think we uh I don't know. I think we just about covered it, dude. We got some. We got a little origin story. We got a yes. heroin mushroom story. 
we got a good, you know, plant medicine psychedelic disclaimer. Uh, so we're not being frivolous and careless uh, around, um, you know, some of these things that we're covering. And I'm so excited that this is your first podcast. And I'm so excited that it's the first one that I did it with you. First about one, Tana. first one live recorded oh. with cameras and everything. Oh, yeah, you've done them on Zoom. And I stuff. did a Zoom one, and this is this okay. is far more intimidating. Yeah, but. I know all the lights and cameras <laughs> and stuff. Well, you've you've done a great job. Thank you. Um, and I'm also stoked that I haven't covered Kana yet because I just knew that you and I had it on the books for someday. And I don't know. I've never met anyone that knows as much about it as you do nor do I know anyone that's actually making it publicly available uh, with the efficacy and the care and attention that you're doing. So, man, thank you so much for geeking out and having the passion to create this product. And I'm super excited because, like I said, the stuff I bought online, I I don't really notice a lot from it. And, you know, in a ceremonial setting, I've had some positive experiences, but... um, I suspect that there's some sort of stimulant in there as well that that I don't like, even though like I, I get the essence of the kana and I know there's something there in the heart opening um, kind of element to it, but there's also side effects that have been, um, you know, not great for me. So I can't wait to start working with this and just playing around with different doses from microdosing to having a nice night at home with Allison with some candles lit and some beautiful music on and take it a little further and see how it feels. Well, please, please share your experience. I, I, I would love to hear about it. And in fact, the for connecting with Allison, I think uh, the bliss in some cacao would be beautiful. Nice. A beautiful night. Yeah, nice. She's got us covered on the cacao. Yeah, don't you, honey? I have a question. Yeah. Okay, Allison has a question. She's off mic, so I'll reiterate it for you. She's for those listening. She's asking about. We kind of covered it. You might have been out of the room. Um, you know, some of the uh, shady ingredients around vaping, the, you know, habit forming nature and things like that. That's what you're asking. I don't think with Kana, honey, that uh, I'm, it's not the type of thing I'm going to be pushing the limits of. And we did cover the, the addiction profile, uh, by the way, and there is none. It's not, it's a totally non-addictive plant. In in fact, what I will say is it, it actually helps people with addiction. Now, granted, the there's nothing in there that will be addictive. I don't know if the act of taking something to your mouth is is addictive. But there's no like there's no flavored ingredients, which is what th- these really crazy addictive uh, vapes have. There, it's not only nicotine, but they make it taste like candy. Um, this doesn't have any of that. It's literally just. Um, it just tastes like Kana. <laughs> yeah, it's just. But it's very, it's very mild. I mean, and, if it tastes like anything, it's that a little bit. Yeah, and the um, uh, Kana itself has actually helped a lot of people with addiction, and and the plant itself has a a reverse tolerance, reverse dependency. So, people that are taking it daily for therapeutic purposes and at therapeutic doses actually find that they need it less and less. As as far as what the effects are of vaping propylene glycol and glycerin. What I would say is if if the alternative is if you're vaping something else that's more toxic or if you're smoking, that, that that's healthier. If you have a lung issue, that might not be something that you want to do. I don't know what the what the current research is as far as if it's I, I, I don't actually yeah. know. Allison, you should have just been my co-host on this yeah, one. Yeah, they're, they're good questions. Um, um, to, to that point, and that is that is a great question, and you guys have probably uh, deduced that she's talking about the safety profile of just 
it, to your lungs physically. Um, I, I think in this case, my sense would be you're not going to be sitting there hitting a Kana vape pen 85 times a day. You know, it's like two or three draws is kind of the dose and you're, you're good. So I yeah. think if, if there was, um, and you know, I'm looking forward to you kind of exploring it further, but when I think about the way that I would use, like when I was addicted to weed or smoking cigarettes, I would have been using a vape nonstop all day long. It would just be in my hand, permanently super glued to my hand, and I just hit it all the time. I don't foresee that being the relationship I would have with Kana. So maybe. I hope not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, people would be buying a lot more vapes if that was the case. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I've taken. You been can't here go through a lot of, lot of vapes. We've been here a couple hours and I've taken three and I feel fine. I don't feel like I'm going to sit there and just be hitting it all day long. You know? We're not putting any fruity candy flavors in it. We're not putting. There's no nicotine in it. Kana itself is non addictive. And, and the real intention behind it is. Um, to create something that's healthier in and non-addictive in like the social recreational theme. And I, and I think from a therapeutic standpoint, it has a very rapid onset and significantly can reduce anxiety. And so I, there are some real, real benefits to it. I, I do think that if you are concerned about just the effects of vapor on your lungs, that it's better to work with the pure extract. I mean, this is as pure as it gets just working with the the powdered extracts. Noted. One last question. All right, we got one more question from our co-host. What is it, honey? She's asking about um, the ceremonial practices and the sacredness, the reverence with which someone approaches this plant medicine. If there's recommendations that you make on your site or the packaging that doesn't just have people flippantly just kind of like, oh yeah, conical or whatever, without being kind of you know mindful and respectful of the plant. As I mentioned, this plant absolutely has the capacity to open up medicine space, as, as you've probably experienced with these extracts, with the right intention and set and setting. It's a beautiful medicine. And you can, you can feel that, like when I say that word uh, medicine space, like that like vibration of consciousness or that, that frequency that you enter into when you're in any kind of altered state, if you've like noticed that similarity, whether you're on mushrooms or... LSD, you know, there's, there is some, there's something similar about that. What I would say is that the more you put into this relationship, the more you'll get out of it. And if you put reverence into it, if you treat it with respect, this can be a profound medicine that can really enhance your, your life in a lot of different ways, whether you're hurting or if you're already good, there is a, a, yeah, a, a depth that you can go to with this, um, we didn't get into this in the pharmacology, but I was just reading recently about what VMAT2 upregulators do. When VMAT2 is prohibited, um, basically dopamine is, is, gets depleted in your body. But when it's upregulated, uh, dopamine is, there's much more dopamine available to you, which is really important for not only feeling well, but there is this, this theory that's called the God gene. If you go and you, you Wikipedia God gene, and it'll talk about VMAT2 upregulation. Up and there seems to be something about VMAT2 upregulators that uh, makes it easier to access uh, mystical states or spiritual states. So it's almost like if you're, if you're working with 
Kana, if if this theory or hypothesis is correct, that VMAT2 upregulators do this, um, that microdosing this plant in low doses is actually activating your own innate ability to uh, operate in a spiritual frequency or or access your own intuition or um, access mystical states, which I, I think is really cool. Um, I, I try to position myself in this company as really focusing on, you know, very grounded in the plant itself, how we cultivate it, how we produce these products, and and really try to provide something that is as pure and efficacious as possible so that whatever background you're coming from, you you really have the best possible kana to, to work with. And and I encourage you if if you're so inclined to take it into a, a spiritual realm, this can be a very powerful plant ally. Awesome. Thank you so much. And and thank you, hon. Do you, you have any more <laughs> questions? We're about to wrap up. No, no, I, I, I feel good. Yeah, I just personally feel whether someone's spiritual or not, it's so important that when working with a spirit, a living consciousness of a plant, that that should always in some way be acknowledged, whether you're trying to have a mystical experience or not. So I just fear, you know, that being lost along the way, but... Thank it's you, a valid dear. concern. I, I hope I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well well said, honey. Thank you for your contribution. She's always a great reminder to me. Sometimes I look at these things, um, you know, some of these really sacred plant allies um, in the terms of microdosing and things like that. I kind of just sometimes think about them as a supplement. You know, I just thought I'd walk by the cabinet, take a little of that without actually kind of tuning into it and having, as you said, the relationship. I think that's a really important piece. So I'm glad we got to cover that as and, well. And what I will say is that if it, you'll feel it more if you do, like this will be a much stronger experience if you do approach it with that level of reverence and respect. Hell yeah. Well, I think we did it, man. Thank you so much. It's so great to see you. Thanks for I had thanks such for a coming. good time. Thank, thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, thanks for me. coming to Austin and popping your cherry on a live podcast. Hi. <laughs> Are you not supposed to say that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hit this vape three times. I'm feeling a bit loose. You have to forgive me. <laughs> no, thanks, Ryan. I love you, brother. Thanks for your commitment to I your work. I love you too, man. Thank you so much for having me.